and I am preaching on the book of Luke. And so maybe some of you guys are going, well, wait, I thought Luke came before Acts. What's going on? It's not you, it's us. <laughs> I, did, I, my, uh, I asked my husband, I said, he's away hanging out with a, a friend actually on the weekend, so that's cool. But I, I texted him, I'm like, babe, why did you do Acts first? Why didn't you do Luke first? And then he goes, well, I know I was going to be gone this weekend, and you're preaching on Luke, so I just figured I'd do Acts and do it first. I'm like, all right, that, that works for me. So anyway, so you are not going crazy. Luke was written first by Luke, and he also wrote Acts. And we know that he wrote both because of writing style and similarities and and words that are particular just to Luke and just to Acts. And also because it's written to, it says, Dear Theophilus. So that's kind of our major sign, our major tell. (coughs) When I was studying for this yesterday, you know, I always get nervous when I'm about to preach. I always feel like vomiting. (laughs) Tree of trust here. And um, so yesterday, Pastor Jeannie was like, you know, she goes, just, it's like Luke is like a great prime rib, right? She goes, no matter what what you serve up, it's going to be good, solid meat. Amen. And it's, and it's a great cut of meat, whatever it is. So I, I pray that that is true in the name of Jesus. And uh, let's, let's dive in here. All right. So we know that Luke wrote Luke, because it says so. <laughs> um, and Luke had some distinctive characteristics that set him apart from Matthew and Mark's, um, what, what they wrote. Now, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are part of something called the Synoptic Gospels. That's a fancy word for basically they sound similar and have the same source material, okay? Now, if you guys want to afterwards, because I'm a big nerd, I just couldn't resist. But So this is a cool book, and this is called a Synoptic Reader. <clears throat> and what's really cool is, let's say I want to look up what's, uh, let's say Luke 17.6, right? I'm like, I want to really read that. But then I'm like, but I'm wondering what the story says in Mark and Matthew about the same thing, right? Well, guess what? This lays it out for you. So Luke 17, 6 is um, talking about the mustard seed, right? Well, it's here in Mark and it's here in Matthew. So you can kind of compare it side by side and see what the differences are and what the similarities are. So just I hope you nerded out with me there. If you didn't, that's all right. But if you want to look at it after the service, come up and check it out because it's kind of cool. It's just you're like what? I didn't know Mark said this. What? So it's kind of cool. What? All right. So Matthew, all these writers have specific, it's not the same information regurgitated in Matthew and Mark and Luke, okay? They have different audiences that they're writing toward. Matthew is Jewish, and so he is writing to, a, to Jewish Christians, right? So his angle is totally different, and he's more about the Jewish customs and all that stuff. Luke, on the other hand, is a Gentile dude, okay? And um, we believe he got his information from Paul. He was Paul's traveling companion and did his research. He was very scholarly. Luke uses a lot of words that are not used anywhere else in the New Testament, So that's kind of very interesting, very specific. He talks a lot about salvation and the transforming work of salvation. Um, Luke, there's just so much in here. It was hard to narrow it down, but I will because we don't have five hours. I don't know. Does anybody want to stay for five hours? No? (laughs) Make a party of one. (laughs) Um, Luke talks about, he likes to present, he uses the phrase son of man about Jesus, which is very significant. Because his audience group are the fringe people of society, the widows, the orphans, um, 
the lepers, the people that nobody wants to interact with, and the Gentiles, okay? And so right now what is going on when Luke's writing, there's a lot of tension between the Jewish Christians and the Gentiles, Gentile Christians, okay? Because the Jews are like, you're not spiritual enough, you're not godly enough, and the Gentiles are like, well, why not, why not, why not? And so, they're, so Luke is writing to the Gentiles, you know, and then the, the Jews are like, well, we're the chosen people, so what's up with that? And the Gentiles are like, well, what about us? Aren't we chosen? And the, the Jews are like, no, not really. So Luke writes, and he's like, we're all chosen, okay? Yes, Jews, you were, you were, the, first, you were the firstborn, but you're, you're serving a purpose to disseminate this information to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth, right? Okay. So more Muslims, I was reading in a commentary, have gotten saved reading the book of Luke than any other uh, gospel in the, because it's written toward the outsider. It's not written toward somebody that knows all the Christianese and all the wording and all that stuff. It is written to somebody as an apologetic. And what's significant about Luke, too, is that he paints a picture of Jesus as being human. He's full, I don't understand, right? You have 100%, 100%, and that gives you 200%. But Jesus is 100%. He's Jesus, I guess, right? So, but he's fully human and he's fully divine. And so Luke is very careful to paint a picture of Jesus um, in his humanness. He is fully empowered, incarnate as, as God on earth, but he's also human, and um, I don't know about you guys, but when I see people that, let's say they've just gotten into a huge car accident or they've just gotten a, a terrible diagnosis or something, right? And you're like, how are you? And they're like, I'm just great. Everything's great. Everything's great. That's great. That's great. You're like, mm, okay, all right, well. But you're like, really? But they're like, yeah, everything's great. Everything's great. And you just kind of get the sense that they're not really, they're not, they're not grounded. Or maybe they're just super spiritual and nothing touches them. And if it's the latter case, then for me, that gets intimidating because you want to know that you can relate to somebody. You know, if they're so up here and nothing touches them, what's the point of faith, right? And so Luke is writing to these outliers in society, and he's like, Jesus was a real dude, and he got it. He got what it meant to struggle. He got what it meant to walk through this world and have grief and sorrow and pain and loss. He gets it. So that is very significant. Um, Luke has got all these stories about the lost coin, right? And, um, you know, all these things about the prodigal son, right? You Going out in redemption. There's a lot of redemption going on in Luke, okay? Things that are considered trash, disposable, undesirable. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. We want that. That's what we want. I will go after the one. The one sheep leaves the flock, I'm going after it, right? So Luke is very much about that, which is in contrast to Matthew, which is more corporate. It's about the corporate body, okay? All right. Um, Luke is um, combined with Acts, because he wrote both, occupies 27% of the New Testament. That's pretty significant. That's almost 30%. This one guy wrote 30% of the New Testament. So we should probably pay attention to what he has to say. That's significant. All right. What I thought we would look at today as I was thinking about these themes and kind of what makes Luke tick as opposed to the other Gospels, um, he really wrote the Gospel of the Underdog. And so 
I thought, well, let's, as I was praying about this, let's look at the Beatitudes, right? Because if that doesn't paint a picture of an underdog, I don't know what does. Um, so what I want us to do, and, and it's also, Luke does this great job of presenting this picture of this, and this is what we're going to see in the Beatitudes, of this upside-down kingdom. Crystal, do you have that slide? <laughs> it's, this, it's this inverted culture, this inverted kingdom, right? The, the, the world that we live in says, more, 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 me, 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 how can I get on top? I'm going to crush anything, anybody to get to the top, right? Me first, me first, me first. And Jesus comes along, and he's like, time out. Mm-mm, that's not how my kingdom rolls. That's not it. Um, Tim Keller, this great preacher out of New York, um, I was listening to him as I was studying for this, and he talks about, and we don't quite get it in Matthew, and this is where having a synoptic book is awesome. In Matthew, there's a version of the, the Sermon on the Mount in, in Luke and in Matthew. Matthew, it's more pointed that Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount on a mountain. And Tim Keller points out, he's like, a lot of revolutions have been started in the mountains. Jesus is starting a revolution. And Jesus is very clear about it. He's like, I'm coming to mix things up. How you do stuff, Pharisees, religion, that's not it. You missed the boat. This is how we do it. And so we look at the Beatitudes and we see that Jesus takes everything that the world values, that religion values, and he turns it upside down. Before we dive into the meat of this text, because it can get kind of deep, I thought, you have to laugh sometimes in church, right? You have to enjoy yourself. So I thought, this has kind of been a goal of mine for as long as I've been teaching here. I'm, we're going to watch a, a, a clip of Monty Python's The Life of Brian. Um, and this, this video clip, how many of you guys have ever watched that? It's, it's pretty epic. Okay, now what's great about it, though, is so this, the scene is Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, Right? And it pulls way, way back. And, you've got, and they're British, so I'm, pardon the accents. It's kind of hard to understand. But so this group of people and the fringes are trying to listen to Jesus speaking. And it's hysterical because it's like, a, like an everyday guy and his wife listening. And then there's some, Brian, who's m making fun at people well, as he's trying to listen to Jesus. And then there's like an aristocratic couple that are trying to listen. And the conversation and how they... they they misinterpret stuff. I think it's funny, but there's meat in that that we can take and we can apply. So, and we're going to do that. But, you know, at one point, you know, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, right? It's not in this version uh, in Luke, but it's in um, Matthew. <clears throat> but they, they, the, the people that are listening are like, did he say cheesemakers? Cheesemakers? And the aristocratic guy goes, oh, actually, it's anybody a purveyor of dairy, anybody that produces dairy items, that qualifies. And it's just funny because it's like, I think that's how we, we look at the Beatitudes. We're like, oh, they're cute, funny, quaint things, right? Just like the Ten Commandments. But there's power in this. All right, I can check that off my bucket list. <laughs> um, I, I just think that, that as we get into the text, we kind of tend to parse out. Thank you for the lights. We kind of tend to parse out what Jesus is talking about here. And we kind of nitpick and we pick and choose what applies. And, um, and then it becomes discombobulated, right? We have it through our, like they were saying, cheese, you know, blessed are the cheese makers. 
And then the aristocratic guy's like, no, actually, it's uh, people who produce uh, dairy products. And I think we do that with Scripture and with, with what we're going to look at. We put it through these filters that we're comfortable with, and it comes out completely not what Jesus was talking about, right? And it's a human quality that we have, and we have to overcome it. But um, what I want us to do is we're going we're gonna to look in this and at the Beatitudes and kind of look at this concept of the upside-down kingdom, and what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes is he is, and he's speaking to two audience groups. But when he's doing this, he is saying the world's value system, what the world holds precious, holds no sway over us anymore. Because we're not citizens of that kingdom anymore. We have citizenship in another kingdom. And sometimes we forget that. We, we say, like, the, the, uh, the children of Israel, right, when they got out of uh, bondage, right, in Egypt, right, they're wandering in the desert for 40 years. Okay, that was a bit of a downer. But remember, and God was like, I'll, I'll provide manna. And they were like, this is horrible. We hate this life. Oh, we want to go back to Egypt where we had sweet meat pies and we enjoyed figs and it was just wonderful. They were slaves. They had a horrible life. But a lot of times we're like that. We're like, oh, I want to go back. It's like, it's like we, we kind of forget what it was like. And Jesus is like, no, no, here, be here, be present. Because this is where I'm at. I'm Jesus and I'm here. I'm here and present with you. All right? All right. Let us look at, uh, can we get the Beatitudes up? Okay, so please turn in your Bibles or you can look at it on the screen. Um, we're going to look at uh, Luke 6, 20 through 36. Oh, first of all, sorry, before we do that, though. Okay, so what's interesting, I because I have a 10-year-old and I'm a visual learner, too, I think pictures are cool. And so when Jesus is talking um, to this group, he's talking to a large horde of people, but he's also talking to his disciples. And he's kind of, he's coming down the mountain. And Luke, he's coming down a mountain. Thank you. This is Sermon on the Mount. But then let's go to the clip, the, the clip of the, the uh, field or the, the big lawn or the side of the mountain. Here we go. So imagine Jesus. He's got this throng of people that are just following him, it says in, in verse 20, Luke 20, 6, 620, or 619. They're just following him because he's healing. He's walking in so much power. He's walking in the presence of his father. He's just carrying it. And people are just getting healed as he's walking through these crowds. And they're just, they're trying to mob him because they want what he's got. And what he's got is he's connected to the father. Okay, so he's walking and he's walking down this hillside. That's the Sea of Galilee right there, modern times. And so it's kind of cool. It just kind of gives you a visual. There's a lot of space, a lot of space for people. All right. So, with that visual stuck in your head, let's look at Luke 6, 20, 36. This is the Beatitudes. Looking at his disciples, he, which is Jesus, said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Verse 23. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. 
and then this starts the woes. Now pay attention to the woes in the order of the Beatitudes. Um, notice we talk about in 20, blessed are the poor. 21, blessed are you who hunger. 22, um, or, and then 21, blessed are you who weep. 22, blessed are you, are you when people hate you, okay? So notice that order. Now, 20, 24, um, this is the woes. But woe to you who are rich. So, so those are you who are opposite of the poor. Um, for you have already received your comfort. 25, woe to you who are well fed, opposite of hungry. For you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. 26, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Ouch. Okay. And then it goes on about love for your enemies, turn the other cheek. Let me just say this real quick, too. When we read this, this is not talking about uh, being a doormat and just taking crap from everybody. That's not what this is talking about. Okay, I just want to make that very clear. Because there's other verses in the Bible that talk about, no, you draw a true love is not enabling people. It's not codependency. Okay, so I just want to make that abundantly clear. There's, there's other stuff. Um, Jesus is not talking about literally going around and, 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 you know, do you want to punch me because it's all in the name of Jesus? Please, please cut in front of me. Please go for that. That's not what this is about. And we could ask kind of what is going on? Why is Jesus saying, why are these people blessed? Okay, so audience, let's look at the audience. Who's he speaking to initially? Verse 20. Yes, Gentiles, yes, but also 20. Disciples. So that's his immediate group. And then the bigger group is who? Who's following him? Everybody. Everybody. That's key. So what's interesting, can we put up the thingy again, the landmass? <laughs> Thank you. Okay. What do we notice about this? There's no buildings. Jesus is giving this message in a place that everybody can hear. It's not in a temple. It's not in some wealthy person's home. It's not at a fundraising dinner. It's not at a secret club for Christians or Jews. It's out in the open. This word is for everybody. And that's important because it is significant. That means that this applies to us. We're the crowd on this plane. Okay? All right. So, what's the deal? Why is Jesus saying in 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy? Is Jesus advocating masochism? Is that how it works? As, as Christians, we go out and we, we get the snot beaten out of us and we're misabused and, and we just get more, more, more jewels in our crown? Is that what he's talking about? Why would you want to sign up and become a Christian if this is what it looks like? <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. Let's just keep it real. Why would you want to become a Christian if this is what you have to look forward to? Why? Can you imagine if, if you had somebody, like you're, let's say a, you go to CarMax, and the salesman is using this tactic, and you're trying to buy this used car. He's like, well, I'll tell you what, this one's a real beauty. Engine's going to blow in about 10 miles. The bumper's about to fall off. You know, and he goes on. The AC's going to go out, but you're going to love this car. It's going to be great. It's going to be the best car you own. 
You'd be like, what? He'd lose his job in five seconds, right? You'd be like, no thanks. You're not doing a good job selling. So what is going on here? Why, why, is, why is Jesus worded it this way? What the heck is he talking about? Context is important, okay? We're not going to read it real quick, but I just want to... In 27 through 35, and then also through the end of the chapter, Jesus also talks about love your enemy, turn the other cheek. If somebody takes your coat, you give them another one. Or, or if they're your shirt, you give them your coat, right? And so, well, it kind of seems, so he, they're talking about this extraordinary generosity, extraordinary love. Now, let me tell you this real quick. Let me deviate because I think it's important to kind of set up some boundaries here so that you don't leave church thinking, all right, I'm just going to just give stuff away and allow myself to be, you know, just taken advantage of wherever I go. That's not what this is talking about. But let me just provide this illustration. So as you guys know, we have this giant field over here, right? There's a huge homeless colony that's there. I mean, these, some of these people have tents, and they have a doorbell system set up. Like, you walk through a certain group of rocks, and they have it rigged where you ring through it, and it dings. It goes ding-dong. <laughs> okay, so a lot of these homeless people have cell phones, and a lot of them have iPhones, which trips me out because, you know, they're a chunk of change, right? But So for a while, we were trying to be good neighbors. We have external outlets here. So we would let them come onto our property and charge their phones in the parking lot because we're just trying to be good neighbors and to show compassion, right? Be like, you wanted the shirt off my back? Here's the coat, right? Okay, but what started happening was they leave their beer bottles and their paraphernalia and other stuff on the property. And so we lovingly had to draw a line and say, We've talked to you guys about this. You're not abiding by this agreement that we set up. So you can't do this anymore. So I'm just, I'm putting that out there, that the Bible doesn't say that we're not to have any boundaries and we're just to be doormats. That's not what it's talking about, okay? Because there's a, we could go into a whole bunch of other scripture. But what is going on here goes back to the upside-down concept of Jesus' kingdom, the upside-down kingdom. But it still leaves you with the question, why is Jesus saying, blessed, blessed, blessed are you when you weep, when you're poor, when you're hungry? Why? Well, the word blessed has a long history. And it's this idea that you are filled up and contented. And it comes from the old Greek usage where um, it referred to the Greek gods, that just had all of their stuff that they needed, right? They were up in Olympus. They had no wants, no needs. They were detached from the greedy humans, the needy, greedy humans, and their, their wants and their desires and their needs, right, and their shortcomings. Okay, and then the word got morphed to mean uh, the aristocratic people in the Greco-Roman world. They were so insulated from the needy. You know, they'd have beggars come to the door, and they'd be like, send them away, send them away. Okay? So that, that's kind of, and then, is that Jesus calling? Is that Jesus calling? Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I'm in church. I'm sorry. Just one second. All right. So what does this word blessed mean in this context? And why does Jesus say to rejoice when you're experiencing this stuff? When you're poor? Well, here's the deal. 
you can be a Christian, right? And you can say, I got my ticket to heaven, I'm going to heaven. But that's not the whole of it. True salvation and what Luke is talking about is transformative. When, um, how many of you guys saw Minority Report? Anybody? With Tom Cruise? Okay. Okay, all right. Mako, party of three. Party of two. Um, okay, thank you, John. Party of four, Mako. All right, but in Minority Report, um, it's set in the future, and what they use, well, it's not too future because we have it now, but they use uh, retinal scanning, right? And so, you know, Tom Cruise has been framed, his character, and he has to get back into the building that he used to work at and um, kind of prove himself that he, he, was, he was innocent, right? But they use retinal scanning. So what he has to do is he has to get a new set of eyeballs, which is kind of gross. But he goes, and he goes to this, this creepy doctor, like in this back alley, and this creepy doctor gives him new eyeballs, right? And so he goes, Tom Cruise, to this facility, and he passes the scan because he's got a new set of eyeballs, right? Well... That is the idea behind what Luke is talking about with the Beatitudes, that we can look at being poor. We can look at being hungry. We can look at being mocked for Jesus' sake and count it all joy. Not because we're, we're masochists. Not because Jesus is like suffering, yay, suffering. It's workspace. It's because we have a new set of eyeballs to see the world. It's not even a new prescription of glasses. It is new eyeballs. We have a new retina. It is attached to our brain in a different way. So here's, here's, here's this is the gist. When Jesus is saying, to the, especially to the disciples, blessed are you who are poor, it's not just financially poor. It is poor in spirit. And this is why they are blessed, because Jesus is saying, you understand, you will get to the point when you're walking with me, not just salvation ticket, great, I'm going to heaven. But you are transformed. You have a new set of eyeballs to see the world and to see what you're going through. And you can look at that and you can say, Father, I am so utterly dependent on you. I am so completely broken. I have nothing of my own accord. I am completely and utterly dependent on you. Now, it's, this is not saying that Jesus wants us to be invalids and not help ourselves. That's not it. Let me, let me paint it to you this way. Sophia, recently in the last year, she had stomach problems. So we had to go get um, endoscopy, which is a, they knock her out with anesthesia, and then they do little, it, it was no big deal, but they had to do little snippets in her intestinal tract and her stomach. And she had to get knocked out the first time for it, well, the subsequent times. And she had never been under anesthesia before. And so after she was knocked out, she came back and she cried hysterically for an hour. And when, when she was still asleep, they, they took out the IV and so she, they put the bandage, bandage on and she, was, she started bleeding a little bit through the bandage, right? So she wakes up, she has, she's lost four hours of time. She doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know why she feels groggy. Um, actually, um, uh, her best friend talked to her on the phone, and that helped. But, you know, she's freaking out. And I'm like, uh, and the nurse is like, actually, there's a reset shot we can give her. I said, what? She's like, we can give her a shot that will knock her back out and, like, rearranges her brain neurons and then wakes her back up again. I'm like, well, we might have to do that because she's been doing this for an hour, right? And so I, I'm, like, trying to, I'm just trying to soothe her. And, and finally, I just pick her up, and I I'm put her in my lap. And I hold her like she was a baby. 
even though she's like nine and a half. And I'm rocking her, and I grab her face, and I said, look at mommy. Look at mommy. Look at mommy. And it calmed her down. And every time she tried to look away, she'd get more stirred up. And I say, and I grab her face, I go, look at mommy. Keep your eyes on mommy. And she'd be like, and her breathing would calm down, and she'd start to relax. It didn't remove her from the situation that she was in. But when her eyes were fixed on me, her breathing came down, the anxiety came down, she relaxed, her muscles relaxed. That's what Jesus is saying here. When you are feeling poor in spirit, when you have gotten a horrible diagnosis from the doctor, when you have lost your job, when you're going through a horrible point in your marriage, when you're dealing with crappy stuff with your family, when it seems like you can't catch a break, Jesus grabs our face and he says, look at me, look at me. Don't break the gaze, look at me. I think there's a, there's a study that I preached on or use it as a part of my sermon a couple, you know, a couple years ago. They did a study, though, with um, kids that were orphans that didn't get touched, okay, like eight-year-olds. And they did an MRI scan of their brain. And then they would take other kids that were touched and loved on by the mom. Like, they trip and they skin their knee, and the mom would be like, oh, it's okay, here we go, let's clean it up, right? Or if they get a cold, they'd be like, oh, it's okay, baby, right? So what they did is they did a CT scan of the brains of the kids that were touched and loved on. Not excessively, just normal parenting, right? And then they did a CT scan of the kids that didn't get any touch. The brains of the child that didn't get touched at all was about a third of the size of the kid that did get touched. And this just wasn't just one case study. This showed it was over and over. There's something powerful in touch and the love of a parent. And that is what Jesus is trying to communicate here. He's like, I don't want to just give you a ticket to heaven. I want to put you on my lap and I want to rock you and let you know it's okay and have you look into my eyes and know I got you no matter what you're going through. It would be wonderful if God could just pluck us out of our hardships all the time, right? I remember, and I've shared this with you guys, when my mom was, was dying of cancer, like two years ago, I think, three years ago, and there would be nights where I just was, uh, my sister, God bless her, is a saint. She had my mom come stay at her house, and we took care of her at my, my sister's house. That's where she passed. And I remember sometimes, when I was doing my shift with my mom, I just was like, I, I can't do this. And I'd cry out to God, I'd be like, where are you? I can't watch my mom degenerate like this. She had, a, she had breast cancer, but it spread everywhere. So she had a brain tumor. And it was really difficult because my mom, who had taught me stuff, she was my mom, started acting like a toddler. And I remember one day, she was, and she had cancer everywhere, in her spine, in her femur. It was just everywhere. It was pretty much in all of her bones. And so the doctor was like, if she gets up and walks, she has to use her walker because if she falls, she'll break a bone, and then that's just going to, that'll just take things on a whole different trajectory really quickly. So this one day, she got up out of bed, and she's like, 
I'm going to go walk around the, the house. And I was like, no, 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 no. Take your walker. And she was like, no, you can't make me. I said, I know, but please take your walker. And she wouldn't take her walker. And I was like, I was like, okay, if she falls, because she, she was heavier, and I was like, if she falls, I can't, I can't, I can't catch her, and I don't want her to break anything. And so I remember the first time I just, I had a restrainer, and it broke my heart. I went home, and I threw up, and I sobbed in Josh's arms for three hours, because it broke me. I was just, and I was like, God, where are you right now? Where are you? I need you. And I remember God was like, I am with you. And I want you to remember that I wept also. I know what loss is. I know what grief is. And I am with you in the darkest, deepest parts of your grief and your misery. And that is what he is saying here. I want to do other stuff to soothe it, you know. But Jesus was like, turn to me. Be so utterly dependent on me that you look at me in the eyes and, and our, my, my gaze will sustain you. My gaze will hold you and sustain you. And that's what's going on here. Jesus is like, you look at me, I will hold you and I will sustain you. It didn't take the pain away and it didn't make my mom recover, but I knew Jesus was with me in this grief, and I just, it was like a small, quiet voice this one night, and I just, it's like Jesus was like, I know what grief is. I wept. I've lost. I know what that is. I know what pain is. I know what separation is like, and that, that comforted me. That gave me strength. And that made me want to lean in farther to him. And that's what the Beatitudes are about. Jesus is like, I want you so utterly dependent on me that nothing else even comes into play. That you know that nothing else will sustain. Nothing else will satisfy. Just me. Just me. And I am thankful that we have a father who's got a father's heart. He's not just like, hey, good luck with that. Matthew talks about, and here's the other thing too, right? So during this whole process, and it's not all doom and gloom. You know, I think a lot of times when I was listening to Joyce Meyer, right, because sometimes I think we can go through life, and it's just hard. Life is hard. Let's just be honest. Life can be hard, and it's difficult. And sometimes it just sucks eggs, right? And you're just like, <laughs> And it's hard when you're walking through something really tough to be like, joy, 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 right? Like, where is that joy supposed to come from? And yet Jesus commands it in 23. He says, rejoice. It's not, you should think about rejoicing, consider this. It's, it's a command. In the Greek, it's a command. It, and here's the cool thing, and not only rejoice, which is a state of mind and heart, right? What does it say to do? Leap for joy. It's action. Sometimes if we don't feel it, we got to act on it, you guys. We got to step out in faith and we say, God, I don't understand why you're allowing my mom to die right now, but I praise you anyways and I choose to walk with you. I choose joy. 
that is harder a lot of times to choose hope and to fight for hope and joy than it is to just go home and pull the covers over your head. And, and there's, there's at times where that's okay too. But Jesus calls us to be victors, to press on. So let me tell you something. So that day when that happened, it was just, it was just, a, just a tough day with my mom, right? And I was just broken. So it was the next day, I go over to my sister's house, and school is starting like the next day. And I, because I've been consumed, my sister and I, you know, we've been taking care of my mom. We, we, I haven't done any shopping for Sophia for school. She has no backpack, no tennis shoes. She's been wearing cut-off pants, you know, the jeans for shorts. She doesn't even have a jacket. She's got nothing for school. So I called Josh, and I was like, let's meet at uh, this store, and we'll do shopping real quick. You bring her from the house, and we'll just, we'll try clothes on her, and then you can take her home and get her ready for school tomorrow. He's like, deal. And so we meet at this store, and we get clothes on, and I am just a wreck. I'm still thinking about having to physically restrain my mom the night before. And I'm like, what a weird dichotomy. My daughter, like, new beginnings, like she's starting the third grade, or whatever, first grade. And my mom is like, you know, dying. And I just was so messed up in my head. I was just I was trying to make sense of it. And, and I'm like, God, where are you? Where are you? Okay, so it's 10 minutes till 9 when the store closes. And I get up to pay. And this woman who doesn't know me, I don't know her, she looks at me and she goes, you're not okay, are you? And it wasn't a mean caddy. She, like, she knew me like we were buds. It was like Michelle had asked me or Kim or Eileen or Michelle, you okay? I'm like, uh, no, I'm not. And I just, like, emotionally vomited. <laughs> and at 9.30, when she finally finished ringing me up, we talked for 40 minutes. Check this out. Turns out she was an oncology nurse, cancer nurse. God was amazing. She's like, I don't usually do stuff like this, impromptu canceling sessions at my cashier. But, and she wasn't a Christian either. But she's like, I just felt like I should ask you if you were okay. And she told me things that were so critical to helping me get over that hump. So when Jesus says, blessed are you when you weep, it's because he says, A, I'm with you. B, I will always provide. Always provide. I never in a million years would have thought the cashier at Nordstrom Rack is going to counsel me for 40 minutes, and that's how God's going to get me over this hump. That's how God's going to provide in this situation. Never. And I just think that shows the, the heart of the Father, that he cares for us, even when we're in the midst of just hardship and we're just grinning and just doing the best that we can to hang on. He's like, I am with you. Blessed are you. That is a proclamation of victory. That's not a platitude. That's not like a, hey, cool, great. That is a proclamation of victory. That is a proclamation of God's provision in your life. Blessed. And it may not look blessed now, but we know that God is faithful and he's good. So if you are in a spot right now where you're just like, oh, I can't do it. I'm at my limit. I'm maxed out. Time out, Jesus. 
hang on, don't give up. Because Jesus says, I am with you. I have given you new eyeballs. Blessed, that's a proclamation that he says over us. We are blessed. And it may not look like it, but guess what? Sometimes we have to rejoice. And then we have to get up and we have to act blessed. We have to act in joy. Even when we don't feel like it. Let me tell you something too. We have an enemy that's a total jerk. I want to say something else, but I won't. And his whole thing is he wants to rob, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy our joy, rob us of hope. And so sometimes when we're in the ditch and we just want to peace out and we're maxed out, don't do it. Don't give in to Satan. Be like, oh, I cast you out. I kick you in the booty in the name of Jesus. Jesus says I am blessed. I stand on that promise. It's a promise you can take to the bank. So if you are feeling poor, if you are feeling discouraged, know that A, you have Jesus who walked in your shoes. You know when it says Jesus wept because he lost Lazarus? That's not a cute little phrase. Like in the Greek, the weep, he is utterly, he is heaving. He is grieving from the inside. He is torn up because he has lost his very dear friend Lazarus. And then when he went to the cross, he was utterly separated, utterly separated from his father. Imagine the closest relationships, relationship, relationships that you have. And imagine just not having that anymore. That's it. It's over. That was Jesus. He was cut off from the Father, where they enjoy perfect love, perfect fellowship. So Jesus, when he says, I know what you're going through, I'm, I'm in it with you. He, it's, not, it's not a cute platitude. It's not a cute phrase. It is a promise. Can I have the band come up and the ushers, please? Well, God is good, isn't he? We serve a good father. Let me pray for the offering, and then we'll just do some worship together. Amen? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you speak over us blessed, and what you speak is reality. They're not empty words. And Jesus, we just, we give this offering back to you out of an abundance of, of thanks, a thankful heart, God. We choose to put your mark on our finances and to say, Jesus, there's nothing in our life that you cannot have access to, that you, you, you cannot have lordship over. So God, bless the offering. And we pray that as we close out with worship, you would speak to hearts, minister, God, woo us, love on us. And most importantly, I pray that we'd press into you and hear the Father's voice.